You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. We've been uh, thinking about the breastplate of righteousness for uh, a couple of weeks now, because two weeks ago in our last session we were looking at this beginning idea and what I started to talk about was how we had spent some time thinking about the belt of truth. I also cheekily suggested that a belt on its own is seriously not enough. Don't go out with just a belt on. Uh, we need other garments as well. So does a Roman soldier. And uh, we talked about um, the, the, the symbolism of the belt of truth, how important truth is, that it holds everything else together and it would hold the Roman soldier's armour together. And if you've got the truth, the truth about God, about Jesus, about our own state without him, about our need for salvation, the truth about heaven and hell and the Holy Spirit and these fundamental truths that we talked through in January on Sundays, and um, we've got those right. It's a brilliant grounding in the faith and we need those things. We also talked uh, about why a breastplate is needed both in the physical but also in the, in the, in the spiritual, how um, the breastplate would guard the heart and I'd like to spiritualise that and think about the importance of God's righteousness guarding our hearts and also uh, any other internal organs that it might cover. So it would, it would cover your, your guts as well, which um, for uh, Greek and Hebrew thinking that between the heart and the gut you've got your, your thinking and your feeling um, for a lot of people. So we always think about our head as our, our head versus our heart, but um, the breastplate kind of covers it all. Um, in contemporary thinking of the day. So that was, that was last week and we looked at some of the blessings, like the righteous are as bold as a lion and things like that. We just looked at general ideas about um, what it is to be righteous and, and the benefits for us. And so today I wanted to move through and think about the righteousness of God. It's a big topic and I just want to give us four aspects today about God's righteousness before we then next time start thinking about our own righteousness which we cannot earn, we can't achieve on our own so it's righteousness by faith but if we understand what righteousness is and we get a real feel of what God's righteousness is for us to be called righteous we realise what a big thing that is um, to be called righteous in the same way that, that God is, although we're not righteous in the same way God is, but to, to be classed alongside um, and to be seated in heavenly places with Christ as righteous, as one who is righteous, is a massive thing. And the more we understand about God's righteousness, the more amazing it is that he could call us righteous at all. Um, then by faith, it means that's wonderful. We can just sit back and know that we're righteous and we can carry on sinning and God's grace will keep us righteous. Wrong. Um, we're going to talk, um, particularly looking at the book of James, about some practical righteousness. And in the last session, um, we'll, we'll move on to another practical thing about guarding the heart. So let's define righteousness. I did it last week a little bit, but I wanted to make sure we understood what we meant by righteous. The clue is in the first five letters. Um, the fundamental idea of righteousness in the Bible is that of strict adherence to a law, following a law to the letter, to the T, every dot, every line follows perfectly, following it, following a straight line is another image that was used in one of the books I read about what righteousness means. It's following a straight line without deviating from it ever, which we all do, don't we? We all live perfect, Christian, godly, upright, righteous lives. 
Um, so both Greek and Hebrew words contain the idea of conformity to a, a standard. And when we think about God's righteousness, we can think of it in two different ways. We can think about absolute righteousness and relative righteousness. So we won't spend too long on that, but the idea of absolute righteousness is the idea that God is in and of himself just righteous. He is righteousness. He didn't create a bunch of laws and then decides to follow them. The laws are an outflowing of who he is, of his personality, of his character. He is just absolutely righteousness. He is the epitome of righteousness. He, righteousness is defined by looking at God, not the other way around. God doesn't just define righteousness and tell us how to live. We just look at him and he's right. He's the creator of the universe and his laws are perfect and they are a reflection of his perfect character. So he's infinitely righteous just by being God. It's part of his very essence, his nature, who he is. Now once we kind of understand, so that means, remember righteous means doing things right, doing things the right way. So everything God does is right. Whether we understand it or not, whether the Bible stuff that he does sometimes doesn't make sense, or whether things that happen in our lives don't always make sense, he is right. And we have to have that worldview before we understand our own lives sometimes and, and just walk in faith sometimes that God you are righteous I'm trusting you I'm believing you you're my rock on which I stand and I don't care what the circumstances say don't care what my feelings say and I don't, don't care what other things are going on around me you're righteous and I'm you're righteous and I'm your child um, but then once you've understood that the other side of it is or another way of looking at it is called relative righteousness so relative relative to anything else you could look at you can compare God to Mother Teresa or you can compare God to every good work that any person ever did in the whole world ever and will do and you can compare compile all of those good works and good thoughts and good deeds and weed out anything bad if it were even possible and you could pile them all up you still wouldn't be anywhere near God's absolute righteousness. Relative to us, God is absolutely squeaky clean and perfect. In the light of every violation, though, that we commit, every time we go against righteousness, every time we're trying to walk that perfect line and we just divert by a millimetre, every time we get something wrong, in the light of all of those times, he is seen to be the only true and holy one. He is the only righteous one. Whatever I do, however good I am, and sometimes I am good, Dave, I know you don't think so, sometimes <laughs> I do behave myself, but however good I get it, however right I get it, um, he's just relatively, he's just out there. So already we can see that God's righteousness is concerned with his holiness, because holiness means completely other and separate because of his perfection. And it's also concerned with his justice, because if God always does something right, he's going to be acting out justice. And so we're going to see some of those ideas as we move through. So the four areas I wanted to look at that came up as I was just looking through some various scriptures to do with God's righteousness um, are faithfulness, compassion, judgment and salvation. Got a few verses for each of those 
Um, a little bit more on judgment because that's a bit more edgy to look at and people aren't comfortable with that idea sometimes. It's important that we, we get a grasp of that. And when we understand that God is truly righteous, we've got to get our, our heads around the idea that, that he absolutely has to be a God of judgment. Otherwise, he wouldn't be doing what was right. Anyway, let's not jump into point three. That's too early. Let's go straight in at number one, faithfulness. God's faithfulness. It says in Psalm 119, you are righteous, Lord, and your laws are right. The statutes you have laid down are righteous. They are fully trustworthy. They are faithful. God is faithful to his word. His laws come out of who he is. They, 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 reflect, his right, they reflect his righteousness and his laws and the way he tells us to live our lives are completely trustworthy. There is a faithfulness in his word so we can trust what he has to say. In Psalm 145, it says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful. See, the psalmist is tying together the word righteous and faithful in the same sentence, in the same concept. I don't see that and as um, adding a new idea. I don't see it as um, the second part of a list. I see it as a complementary idea that in his righteousness, he is faithful. I mean, if you think about it in our own lives, in our own situations, if I'm to live a righteous life, I will be a faithful friend to the people that are my friends. I'll be faithful to my promises if I say I'm going to do something. And Paul touched on this a bit on Sunday about just doing things properly and doing things right. If I'm going to be a righteous person, I will be faithful. You'll know me as a faithful friend, as a faithful husband, as a faithful uh, dad, and, and so on. And so because of his righteousness, he is faithful. You can depend on him. He will never let you down. Again, believing in his absolute righteousness helps us to believe in his faithfulness and helps us to believe who he is is far more important for us to understand than what's going on around us. It's more important for me to know God than it is to know what's happening in the news, although it's important to know what's going on in the news. What I'm saying is that if I understand what's happening in the heavenlies and I, I know God and I know God's righteousness, I start to um, unpack something of his character, and God is so big I'll just scratch the surface. The more I do that, though, the more I get to know who God is, the less my circumstances matter. Because to know him is to love him, and to know him is to understand that he's perfect, and to know him is to understand that he is righteous and faithful in all his ways. So he's never going to let us down. And that's because of his righteousness. And the third scripture on faithfulness, before we move on to the next point, is in Nehemiah. You have kept your promise because you're righteous. So out of his righteousness, he keeps his promises. And we've got to be careful with that because, um, as I'm sure you've heard various preachers say at different times, you can't just claim every promise in the Bible as yours because there are promises in the Bible that were as for a specific person at a specific time. And there are also other promises that are a little bit bleak, so we're not going to go claiming those. But there are some promises that we know belong to us, some promises that are yes and amen as far as God and man is concerned, that Jesus died for us, that Jesus loves us, that we've got a place in heaven, that, that the Holy Spirit is here for us, and there is you know, promises that we can rely on. They're not going to change. They are irrefutable laws of the universe 
more reliable than gravity, these laws. And God keeps his promises. And if you're holding on to a promise that you're waiting for, then just know that he's righteous. And to him, a day is like a thousand years, which is a real pain in the neck sometimes. <laughs> but he's righteous. And because he's righteous, he is faithful. Yeah. He is faithful to his promise. He's faithful to his word in the first scripture I showed. And he's faithful in all his ways. Um, so I wonder if someone's got a testimony tonight of God's faithfulness in your life. Maybe just right from the early days of your walk with Jesus or maybe right up to date. You just know that he's faithful. For me, I would say just a sense that he's with me and a sense that his faithful presence is always with me has just his abiding presence if you like uh, an assurance that he's with me whether I've been going through difficult times stressful times at work whatever it's been just to know that he's faithful is incredible and there were a couple of songs in the 80s 90s um, about faithful God I'm sort of miming strumming guitar um, and all that sort of stuff it's very important for us as Christians to remember that. Um, the second thing is compassion. Because God is righteous, he is compassionate. It says in Psalm 140, I know that the Lord secures justice for the, for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. He cares. It was great to have a Compassion Sunday a couple of weeks ago and it's great to see that we've had more uh, kids sponsored through Compassion. But what I love about Compassion as an organisation is that they have in Jesus' name at the, as part of their slogan. Yeah. And that's bold in today's world. Yeah. Lifting children out of poverty in Jesus' name because Jesus is the complete radiance of the Father, and the Father is a God of compassion. Jesus was a man of compassion. God is a God of compassion. He cares about the needy. The gospel is for the poor and for the needy, as well as for the rich, and we need to reflect that in our own lives. But for now, let's just focus on who God is and thank him that he had compassion on us. Because I didn't deserve saving. I don't know about you. I don't know if God looked down from heaven and thought, well, I'll save John even though he's... Um, Without me, it'll be an absolute pain in the neck. Um, but I'll, yeah, it'd be easy for me to save Carol or Debbie or Paul because they deserve saving. But for me, I didn't, I didn't deserve... I'm joking. None of us deserve saving. Um, and that's why we should be thankful for God's compassion. In Psalm 116, it says, The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion again we see the word righteousness so remembering that the whole umbrella term for tonight is the idea of God's righteousness it's out of his righteousness that he cares for the needy because it's only right it's not right that people starve it's not right that people suffer and God is a righteous God and out of his righteousness we see more clearly in this particular verse our God is full of compassion he protects the unwary when i was brought low he saved me thank you lord so god is a god of faithfulness and he's a god of compassion and i'd just love to leave it there but unfortunately the more you read about god's righteousness the more you have to uh, not avoid you can't avoid his judgment so let's start with psalm 96 it says let all creation Rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. That's nice. 
We could just stop there. Jesus is coming back. I mean, this is a psalmist written a thousand years before Jesus, but he had this kind of revelation. I believe there's, you know, there's, there's a revelation there of the end times, as well as just you can interpret it for the immediate time for David when he wrote it, and Jesus, sorry, God will come and rescue me and all that sort of thing. Um, but look what he says next. And, and remember, he just said, rejoice. He comes to judge the earth. Woohoo, judgment! <laughs> Wow. I mean, I, I hardly think many people who go up before the judges on the X Factor or the voice are actually, I mean, they might rejoice that they got that far, but um, that's, that's not an equivalent parallel with what we're thinking about here. Most people tremble before judges, um, especially Simon Cowell, for some reason. <laughs> but this isn't just some singing judge. This is a sinning judge, if you like. <laughs> not that the judge sins, you get what I'm saying. I didn't planned that pun so uh, I hadn't thought that one through but there you go but he he's judging our very souls our very hearts he sees what no one else sees that goes on and yet we're to rejoice that he comes to judge because for the child of God there is something positive about judgment because when he judges he will judge in righteousness everything he does he does out of righteousness whether he's showing compassion, whether he's showing faithfulness, it's because he's righteous. His righteousness is key to so many things about who God is. And the peoples, he will judge the peoples in his faithfulness. Already seeing righteousness and faithfulness tying together in these scriptures. But he will judge the world in righteousness. So why is that positive? Well, we'll come to the fourth point on salvation soon. But I wanted to spend a bit more time um, looking at some of the examples right from early on, the concept of his righteousness and judgment through his righteousness um, is most clearly seen, obviously you see it in Genesis chapter 1, 2 and 3, particularly specifically in 3, um, where Adam and Eve are removed from the Garden of Eden. Um, but the next thing I thought of was where, where Abraham actually has some dialogue with God about this word righteousness. We don't see the word in, in the Garden of Eden, um, but we see the word sort of wrestling with God, Abraham wrestling with God with the word righteousness. So God has decided that he's going to wipe out this evil, wicked disaster of a city called Sodom. And in his plea, Abraham's saying, well, what if there's some righteous people in that city? What if when you sweep it out, there's some good people that end up dying? And he asked in Genesis 18, chapter 23, rhetorically, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? It's as if if God destroyed both the wicked and the righteous together, there'd be no distinction. And if God doesn't distinguish between righteous and unrighteous, God isn't acting righteously. So Abraham continues, Will the judge of all the earth do right? I just pause there and think, let's just remember Abraham didn't have a Bible. He didn't have, he didn't, he's, I think he's about 400 years before Moses. He didn't have the law. He didn't have any guidebook to tell him what's right and wrong. And yet somehow, and it's not read in his scriptures, I don't think. He can't have done in Genesis 18, 
But somehow he has this concept that the God who he is conversing with is the judge of all the earth. And he's also got deep down in his heart, because God has set eternity in the hearts of men, that's why even the atheist is actually a liar. <laughs> Abraham just intuitively knows that this God with whom he is conversing, despite having no scripture at all, he is the judge of all the earth and B... He should do what's right. He should do it in an act of righteousness. So by the end of the story, we know that um, God does act righteously. And I just kind of feel like, um, if we rewind a bit to the beginning of that story, Abraham's already met with a couple of angels. And the Lord says, um, shall I hide from Abraham? This is before this conversation about killing everybody in Sodom. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And that could either be a rhetorical question of, should I? No, of course I shan't. I'd better tell him. Or it could be, shall I hide it? And, and just, shall I even pretend I'm going to wipe out Sodom? There are different opinions on that. But either way, here's the point. In verse 18, God says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. God needed to raise Abraham up and teach him how righteousness worked. He had to give him a case study and show him what righteousness was all about because Abraham needed to act in a righteous way. Abraham, as I say, didn't have the, the Mosaic law at the time. And all the nations on earth will be blessed through him. So just a thought for, for me was God was acting righteous, righteous out of righteousness um, in that situation, but he was also using it as, a, as a, a way of training Abraham up because he saw a great leader in Abraham and he was sort of coaching Abraham through that experience and allowing Abraham to ask those questions. But that's not as important right now as our main point, which is God is a righteous God. Because God is a righteous God, he is a God of judgment. So with Moses, he sets the standards when he demonstrates it to Egypt. Egypt has been judged. Moses says to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says, yeah, no. Uh, and over and again, and the plagues come, and by the end, the Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and says, this time I have sinned. Well, not just this time, but okay, we'll go with that. The Lord is in the right, in other words, God is righteous. And I and my people are in the wrong. God's righteousness stands. So you might have been halfway through plague four and been thinking, well, oh, this, is, this is a disaster. Here's Moses. He's come to set us free and everything he's done has made things worse. And for some of us, we kind of feel like we're in plague four and we feel like God's promised us freedom and the plague after plague keeps coming. Then plague five and six and frogs and flies and gnats and locusts and hailstone the size of pigeon droppings. I don't know, bigger than that. I don't know why I said that. And, and, and all this stuff comes our way and darkness and, and, and all that stuff. Um, but, for, for, but for Aaron... And Moses, they knew that God was righteous and he was judging the people in righteousness. And it took that long for Pharaoh to realise, and the final upshot is, all the way through those plagues, God is still righteous. Even when you're going through all that horrible trial, God is still righteous. And he's doing what's right. It just doesn't feel very nice at the time. And sometimes he's bringing someone else to a place where they're going to confess the righteousness of God and their own sin. I mean, here we have what we need in any conversion experience. We need someone who doesn't know Jesus to say, I realise I've sinned, 
I realised that a lot of the disaster in my life is my own, is my own fault, and I need a saviour, and God is right. Um, anyway, so that's, that's just God's righteousness expressed through judgment. When we see Daniel confessing on behalf of Israel when things are going wrong for Israel, the Lord did not hesitate to bring disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does. So if God hadn't brought disaster on Israel, God would have been deviating from his own absolute righteousness, which is actually impossible for him, I believe. God can't act outside of his own perfection and in his own perfection and his own righteousness he has to be a god of justice and when israel sins true to his word he has to bring calamity on them to to nurture them back to the right place just as a father disciplines the children he loves daniel himself confesses yet we have not obeyed him this is only proving that god is righteous not that god is cruel it's just proving that a perfect god can only act in righteousness. Finally, in Ezra, same concept. God, sorry, the Lord, the God of Israel, you are righteous. We are left this day as a remnant. Here we are before you. Why? In our guilt. Though because of it, not one of us can stand in your presence. There's that coming to that place of judgment. Now, some of this stuff is uncomfortable. And the danger of... Um, being a, a, someone who preaches and shares God's word with congregation is, is that you, you kind of want to make it encouraging for people. But there's also this feeling that there's a whole lot of people out there that need Jesus. There's a whole lot of people out there that need to come to faith. And if all we do is, is show them the faithfulness and the compassion of Jesus, they're only getting half the gospel. And Although this is slightly off topic, it's so burning in my heart that I can't avoid the point that, yeah, the topic is about God's righteousness. But when we're sharing the gospel, there's got to be a point where people recognise their own sinfulness. There's got to be a point where they're not just, to use the carrot and stick analogy with the donkey moving towards the carrot so he moves in the right direction. Yeah, lovely faithfulness and all that. But there's got to be a point where I actually deserve a good walloping for the way I've behaved in my thoughts, in my deeds, in the things I've not done that I should have done. God is a God of judgment. And um, as, as I've said in, in previous times, when, when you read about revival, there is always weeping. And I, I know it sounds... I'm quite a cheerful chappy and a jovial guy, but... For people to really get who God is and who they are. And as I said at the beginning, this absolute and then this relative righteousness relative to me. God is so amazing. And I realise that I haven't submitted to him. That should cause some sort of distress. Really, that, that should be the response. And if people start crying in church, I don't think we should worry about that too much. If what's happening is they're moving through into a time of repentance, another unpopular word, a a time of repentance and and sorrowful mourning about what they've done and who they are, and then moving, don't stay there, we move through, like it's from death, we move to resurrection, it's it's like from, from, from mourning we turn to joy, but it's just not omitting that part of the process. God is a God of judgment. 
and we need to understand that. And uh, I'm not suggesting that when you're witnessing to your friends, you just pound it at them at the, right, at the wrong time, but um, we do need to be aware that actually without us even saying anything, if the Holy Spirit's moving, people can just come to this point of, I just feel wretched, and I, I want to know what it is you've got, because I just know that if I get what you've got, I won't feel wretched anymore. Um, that's enough about judgment. Because the fourth and final point for tonight is about God's salvation. And the, the, the thing about God's salvation is, because he's absolutely righteous, the only way he can save us from our wretchedness and the judgment that we deserve, the only way he can do it is to do it in a righteous way. So he can't just say, you know what, I'm going to let you all off. Because that wouldn't be right. He has to do things right. He has to, he can't help but follow the, the absolutely correct, crystal clear, pure white, straight line of, of rightness, of righteousness. So when he saves us, he has to act out of, he has to mete out his judgment while still showing faithfulness and compassion. So we're going to see those three first points, the faithfulness the compassion and the judgment, those three, we're going to see those all come into play when we see God's righteousness revealed through salvation, which is what I've written on the, on the next screen. The Lord is righteous in saving sinners. In his righteous salvation, we will see the other elements come into their ultimate fulfilment. In Psalm 98, verses 2 and 3, it says, The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. Now at the time, again, this was David, thousand years before Jesus, that was true through Israel. Israel was to be a light to the nations. Israel was to be a light to the nations. And so God was to reveal his righteousness through clean living Israel, who had all these laws to follow and did it perfectly. They got it wrong loads of times, like we all do. But the point is that was then. But now, I, I just love the idea that it's also prophetic of now how the Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations, even us, through Jesus. He has remembered his love and faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. So see in these verses, you've got both righteousness and salvation. Righteousness and salvation. They are tied together because he can't save without doing it in a righteous way. So the righteous requirements of the law must be met. Jesus is the righteous servant, bearing our iniquities before a righteous God, showing compassion on sinners, faithful to his word. So they are sort of brought in those other words there. When I say Jesus is the righteous servant, I'm quoting from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, an incredible prophecy about Christ. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous service will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. That's the judgment. Jesus took our iniquities, our wrongdoing, our sin, our transgression of the law. Our, our, all our, every time we cross the line, Jesus took that upon his shoulders because God is a God of righteousness and the only right way of dealing with sin is that it is punished by death. And Jesus took that on us. Incredible. Wonderful. 
faithful Jesus, faithful to his word. So we're going to deal with our own righteousness through faith in the next session, which we're starting to touch on now, because I'm now made righteous through the salvation that Jesus has brought for me by taking the punishment for me on the cross. But in the meantime, we're going to finish by looking at a few verses from, from Romans 3. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. Look at those two verses alone. The first verse is saying, the righteousness of God has been made known. So, okay, that's good. We, we now know that God is righteous. It's, it's been made known to us. We understand. And, and tonight we've thought about that. We've thought about absolute righteousness. God is absolutely righteous. We've thought about relative righteousness compared with any other person. God is righteous. We understand that's the righteousness of God. But in the next verse he's saying, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus to all who believe. I've just been bigging up God, how amazingly righteous he is. And look, we get that same righteousness credited to us. We don't deserve that. It's just abundantly generous. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. This is the judgment, the righteous judgment of God being meted out on Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he'd left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just, so he's acting justly, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. We become as just as God. We become as righteous as God in God's eyes. Otherwise we wouldn't be allowed into heaven. They wouldn't let us in. We wouldn't be good enough. I just think it's absolutely incredible. Not only are we saved from our own wrongdoing, it, God's righteousness is credited to us by faith in Jesus. Thank God for his indescribable gift. So there's four aspects of God's righteousness. We see that he is faithful to his promises and you can rely on his word. We can see that he's compassionate. He upholds the cause of the needy. We see he is the ultimate righteous judge. He will judge the world. But we also see he offers a way out of condemnation despite the judgment we deserve. He is a God of salvation. Next time we'll be looking at righteousness by faith and what that means. Then practical righteousness the time after. And finally thinking Tying all these thoughts together and thinking about this breastplate that guards the heart uh, is where we'll finish. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit brixham.church.